Have you ever thought about the movies you watched when you were a kid or a teenager that you haven't seen since? How would they hold up if you watched them today? Would they even be the same movie? You are listening to We Are Not Young Anymore, the podcast where we question everything we ever believed about the movies we watched when we were younger and stupider. I'm Chris Egerton. I'm Drew Mackey. And how long has it been since you heard this? Are you the guys hiding out in the attic? We're ghosts! What do you look like under there? Aren't you scared? I'm not scared of sheets. Are you gross under there? Are you Night of the Living Dead under there? Like all bloody veins and pus? Night of the what? Living Dead, it's a movie. You know, if I had seen a ghost at your age, I would have been scared out of my wits. You're not gross. Why are you wearing sheets? We're practicing. You can see us without the sheets. Of course I can see you. Well, how is it that you see us and nobody else can? Well, I read through that handbook for the recently deceased. It says, live people ignore the strange and unusual. I myself am strange and unusual. You look like a regular girl to me. You read our book. Yeah. You could follow it. Yeah, why were you guys creeping around in Delia's bedroom? We were trying to scare your mother. Stepmother. Anyway, you can't scare her. She's sleeping with Prince Valium tonight. So that was a clip from Beetlejuice, the movie that we're talking about this week, directed by Tim Burton, starring Gina Davis, Alec Baldwin, Michael Keaton, Winona Ryder, Catherine O'Hara, Jeffrey Jones... Uh, am I missing anyone? Oh, I'm, don't I'm missing a Dick ton Cavett. of people. Dick Cavett <laughs> and Sylvia Sidney. Sylvia Sidney, who could forget the screen legend, released on March 30th, 1988. The film was a box office hit, and Drew has a little information on the commercial performance of the movie. Drew, would you like to weigh in? Uh, yeah, it was number one at the box office for the week it opened. It only cost 15 million to make, and ultimately, it made 73 million. And it beat out Biloxi Blues, the Neil Simon autobiographical feature starring Matt Broderick. And it stayed at number one for like a month, which means that people wanted to see this horror comedy fantasy for like a whole month, which is kind of surprising thing to wrap your head around. Mm -hmm. Um, It happened to have opened the same weekend as Bright Lights, Big City and The Seventh Sign and completely trounced them at the box office. And it stayed at number one until April 29th when it was beaten by the Sean Penn cop drama Colors. About oh, yes. Which I know nothing. I'd never heard of it I've before. never seen it, but I know what it is. It was the Beetlejuice killer. And it was the 10th highest grossing film of 1988, which is yes. kind of crazy to think about. Right between Cocktail and Working Girl. Yes. Yeah. And just a brief synopsis in case someone listening has, for whatever crazy reason, not seen Beetlejuice. Um, or just needs a refresher. It's uh, about a young couple played by Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin Mm -hmm. who die in a tragic accident and they come back to their old home as dead people. And a new couple moves in with their daughter, Catherine O'Hare and Jeffrey Jones are the parents and the daughter is played by Winona Ryder, uh, move back into the home and start tearing everything apart and remodeling and they don't like it and they decide they want to get them out of the house. And... So they try to basically haunt this family. Then comes in Beetlejuice, who basically can't get rid of this family. They bring in Beetlejuice, a ghost played by Michael Keaton, who basically helps them with chasing this family out of the home. And then things spin out of control. That was a terrible synopsis, but you get the gist. 
People, people remember. Yes. Yes. Uh, joining us today is Stacy Lean Wilson. Stacy is a director, screenwriter, producer, author, journalist. Missing? Am I missing any hyphens? Um, caterer, dog sitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, hello, everybody. I've known Stacy since I was writing for Bloody Disgusting. I probably met you about ten years ago. Yeah, now. it has been that long. And I was working for I think ten years ago. I was working for Horror dot com, which is no more, sadly, mm-hmm. and the Sci Fi Channel. Yeah. So yeah, and I'm still in the horror world. So I am very happy to be here to talk about this horror comedy, Beetlejuice. Yes, yes it's a great episode for you. Um, yeah. So uh, I, when I first saw Beetlejuice, I think I was in high school. We rented it. I didn't see it in the theaters, so I I rented it on on DVD. And I I don't you know I realized as I was watching it this time I forgot about a lot in this movie. It was so long ago, and I have a terrible memory. I don't know why, but I, I can I can remember things, random things from my past, but then there are just these giant like blank spaces. Um, this movie must have fallen into one of those blank spaces because I remembered obviously the general like the gist of it, but mm-hmm. a lot of details I had completely forgotten about. Right. Well, it was 30 years ago. Let's face it. Yeah. It's a long time ago. And I didn't realize that, you know, when I was started to rewatch it, I'm like, oh, my God, there's been like 30 years of Tim Burton movies since then. And, mm-hmm. you know, back then he was still, you know, fairly new. I mean, right. you know, and you hadn't seen a lot of Tim Burton movies. So there wasn't a sameness to them that there is now where you really kind of get his his vibe and you kind of know what to expect. So then it was more refreshing and new. Yeah. Right. So when did you first see it, Stacey? Um, I must have seen it when it first came out because I've always been, you know, a movie buff. And I all the movies that you referenced that were out at the same time, I saw all of those too, even Colors. I remember the song by Ice-T. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Beetlejuice was definitely a totally different kind of film from anything else that was out at the time. And Michael Keaton was very hot then. And, you know, and like you were saying, you know, you don't, there's big gaps that you forgot. And when I watched it again, like I had forgotten how very little he's actually in the film. Yeah. Yes. That was what, that was the main thing that surprised me. You don't even see Beetlejuice until I, you fully see him until I think like, I think I looked at the timestamp. It was like 25 minutes into the movie. Yeah. And then he's, I was before we went on mic. I was talking about how he's kind of like the shark from Jaws. He's only in the movie for about a, to- <laughs> yeah. a grand total of like fifteen minutes of screen time. Basically, yeah. But he's the titular character, so you don't expect that, right? I, but I was very, very surprised by that. I had completely forgotten that he came into the movie so late and was such a almost minor part of the action for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know what kind of surprised me revisiting it was that Beetlejuice is actually my least favorite character. <laughs> you know, really? Like, he's very annoying. I'm he's like, really fucking he's a little annoying. annoying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but maybe for that reason, I like part of me wonders, was he in the movie? So did they cut out scenes that he was in because they felt it was too much? Maybe, yeah. That was be. something that occurred to me because he is a lot to take in yeah. and it's He's almost like better in small doses. Mm-hmm. He's like Newman from Seinfeld, where you just need a little bit of him. And if it's a Newman center thing, you're just like, oh, that's too much. And yet the movie is named after his character, so it's very strange. I'm not going to call the movie Barbara Maitland. It's not a very, <laughs> not a very good name. That's true. So, Drew, when did you first see it? 
Um, I saw this movie on VHS with my family when I was a kid. Um, I had to have been like eight or nine, so it hadn't been out on VHS very long, but, um, we had Halloween at my elementary school and this one, like, I thought she was weird in retrospect. I like, she was obviously the cool artsy girl, but I didn't like put that together at the time. And I didn't know what she was dressed as. And I asked her, I'm like, uh, I don't know what you're dressed as. What are you? And she's like, I'm Lydia. I'm like, I don't, I don't, this is my grandma's name. What, what is that? She's like, I'm Lydia from Beetlejuice. I'm like, oh, I haven't seen that movie. She's like, oh, you should. And so then I got somehow convinced my family that we should rent Beetlejuice. So it was social pressure. Social. No, I wanted to impress this girl who like thought I was dumb for not having seen this like cool thing. Yeah. So even knowing what the box cover looks like, I convinced my parents, no, I heard it was good. And my mom and dad and brother hated it like hated the entire movie and I really liked it. And I'd never seen anything like that before because I'd never seen Timber in anything. I hadn't seen Pee-wee's uh, Big Adventure at that point. So that's not true. Someone had made me watch the large March scene mm. where the <laughs> yeah. face transforms, yeah, which is actually good. a very good primer for what this movie is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um, I, it, it was like the first weird movie I probably had ever seen. And um, I really liked it. My family hated it. And, I'd seen it one more time in college since watching it for this podcast. And that was like in college where there's just a bunch of people around and I was happy to watch the movie again. But I remember this one guy was like, oh, Tim Burton, he's like tired. Like he, everything's just like black and white and that's his whole thing. And I didn't know people were tired of Tim Burton at that point. And I was like, oh, that's weird. I like Tim Burton. But even though I think Beetlejuice holds up pretty well, it's weird watching it in 2018 when Tim Burton's made a whole bunch of movies in the past few years that I have not yes. even seen. Mm. And he, if he made, if, yeah, I, I'm not sure he's, he, if he's able to recapture the magic that he ha made with this movie. I, I would say that's correct. Yeah. Um, this movie is so original and so unique and strange. And the fact that this studio put $15 million into the movie is something that would not happen now no right well you know i was trying to remember and i didn't look it up because you know it's like gee i wish there was a device where we could look stuff up immediately but yeah i didn't look it up because the sandworms you know it kind of reminded me of that kevin bacon movie um oh, tremors. Uh, tremors yeah so like which one came first tremors came out in 1990 1990 oh, okay yeah. so they might have ripped that off from beetlejuice then huh yeah, it sounds like mm. they, they might have. Yeah. But who knows when the script for Tremors well, was written. It could, you know, you yeah. never know when these things actually get written as opposed to when they come out. But. What about Dune? Did the worm from Dune... Mm, that was 79? 79. 79. I think it was 84. What? 84? I think it was 84. <laughs> really? I'm wow. really good with movie years, Stacey. Okay, Stacey. good, good. Yeah. All right, yeah. No, I, I do know that... Um, um, Alejandro Jodorowsky was going to direct, uh, it. direct it. Did you see that documentary? Uh, I have not. Oh my but God, I, it's so good. Jodorowsky's Dune. Yeah, yeah, but anyway, so this, the idea was definitely circulating in the late 70s and early 80s, and then it went to David Lynch, who was didn't really do a Lynchian-type job on the film at all. But That was perhaps his only director-for-hire project yeah, of yeah. all, like, ever mm -hmm. in his entire career. But anyway, I haven't. But I haven't. I haven't actually seen Dune. But yeah. I know what year it comes out yeah. or came out rather. <laughs> Good. Don't 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 watch it unless you're like a David Lynch super fan. It's not. It's, yeah, it's, watch it's, the documentary instead. I yeah. want to see the documentary. Yeah. Yes, but the movie, but Beetlejuice is. Uh, I loved Beetlejuice. Watching it now, I think it holds up incredibly well. Mm -hmm. I think it's imaginative. It's 
Uh, the characters are very endearing. I I like Beetlejuice. I'm sorry, Stacy, but I do. You I like do. Beetlejuice I like it too, but the I don't char- like Beetlejuice I like, I don't, himself. He likes Beetlejuice himself. <laughs> oh, I got you. I'm sorry. I'm getting the title and the character mixed yeah. up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he is. I don't know. He's he, he's, he's he's lecherous and yeah. he's gross and he doesn't treat women well. Uh, so I don't. I I I find him. Um, charming and i find michael keaton's performance very impressive well yes his yeah. performance is terrific i mean if he's meant to be annoying he certainly does uh, capture <laughs> that so but i was you know i didn't realize you know in re-watching it like i had forgotten i feel like he's more like a devilish imp than really just a regular old mm-hmm. ghost don't you think he's kind of Floyd, do you know how to pick up? Let me ask you something. Is this relationship really solid? Do I have a shot at her at all? Excuse me. Sure. Am I overstepped my bounds? Just tell me. Come on. You know what's really beautiful about this? You two kids picked me. You didn't have to, but you picked me. It makes me want to kiss you guys. Come on. Come no. On. Give me one. No. Come on. All right. Let's get down to business. You're right. I got a card around here somewhere. Here. Here. Who do I have to kill? Here, hold that for me, would you? There you go. You don't have to kill anybody. Ah, possession. Good. Learn to throw your voice. Fool your friends. Fun and party. <gasps> no, we just want to get some people out of our house. Ah, I understand. I understand. Well, look, in order to do that, I'm really going to have to get to know you guys. You know, we got to get closer. Move in with you for a while. Get to be real pals. You know what I'm saying? And... <clears throat> Save that guy uh, for later. Huh? My wife and I would like to ask you a couple of questions. Sure, 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 sure. Go ahead, shoot. Well, well, for instance, uh, what are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I lived through the Black Plague, and I had a pretty good time during that. I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. Not to mention the fact that you're talking to a dead guy. Now, what do you think? You think I'm qualified? He is, he's definitely demonic. And I think in what I was reading about the film and the development of the film and the character was apparently originally a like winged demon whose human form was a small Middle Eastern man. Mm. Yeah. Did you read about this? That that was an awkward thing to read about. I'm like, that's, that's a weird direction to take. Yeah. And then they, and that Tim Burton originally, because the character was um, personified in that way, wanted Sammy Davis Jr. to star as the character. Okay. Yeah. Very, very weird backstory (laughs) with this movie. A lot of his dialogue was originally written in like an African American vernacular too. I mean, it's, it's very, it's very un PC. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's, so it's, yeah. I'm glad that they didn't go that direction. Yeah. But And the movie apparently was much darker. Um, Michael McDowell, who is a horror author of some note, who's no longer with us. He's, he died, I think, 15 years ago, wrote the original screenplay and it was very dark. And it was much more of a horror movie than a comedy. Oh. And um, then another writer came in and made it much lighter in tone. But yeah, in, the, in that original script, it was a completely different character. So and and reading the description, it would make Sammy Davis Jr. makes made much more sense than Michael Keaton. Right. Um, yeah, I doubt they were up for the same roles very often. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, they were in competition too often. Yeah. But um, so it's kind of a fascinating backstory. But then Tim Burton uh, wanted a lighter tone. He hired more different writers and became a horror comedy. 
which is a genre that is historically not doesn't always work not incredibly box office. well. I was maybe I was hoping you guys might be able to answer this. Can you think of another horror comedy where it was like emphasis on comedy because this is like very much so a comedy and yes. it's like the balanced. horror element it's it's the the context of it. it's it's a horror it uses horror imagery but it tells it in the context of a comedy right essentially yeah so i'm trying to think of another movie like that that ever hit number one at the box office can you guys think of one hmm. um that's more comedy than horror i guess i mean like scream I mean, 2 was number one at the box office but that is a horror movie with some jokes in it compared to this this right. is like horror fantasy comedy yeah i was be- thinking of an american werewolf in london i don't know if that went to number one but that was more of a I mean, that's very much like both. Like, right. It's not, yeah, it it's, it's really very horrifying and it's both. very funny. Yeah. So, right. This leans much more heavily on the comedy. I don't know. It's crazy that for a month, Americans were like, we're going to go see this movie about a guy named Beetlejuice who's like funny and also wants to like marry this poor girl who's yeah. goth. Yeah. It's very, very odd. I mean, I would. The Frighteners is number five. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you. It's our, our Wikipedia. Yay. The Frighteners. Look her up. I'm surprised the Frighteners did as well as number five. That's like, it's kind of surprising. But yeah, yeah that, that is like the closest thematically I, I, I can think of really. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I took away from the movie, I love the final scene when Winona Ryder gets an A on her math test mm-hmm. and Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin, who become sort of like de facto parents. Because her real parents. Because stopped. her real parents played by Catherine, the brilliant Catherine O'Hara and Jeffrey Jones. Um, are just awful people, essentially. Yeah. Um, and so she gets an A on her math test, and then they um, levitate her, and she's dancing <laughs> right. to a Harry Belafonte song. <laughs> I love that scene, and I love that it ends on this happy, joyful note, because in at the end of the day, this is a movie about two dead people mm-hmm. inhabiting a home and coexisting with the living. And I love that idea of this cohabitation between the living and the dead and this communion between the living and the dead and not having it be some tragic thing but being a joyful thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's something that really struck me about watching the movie this time and i was actually kind of moved by it in a weird way it's not like a tear-jerking movie but i found it kind of moving that that we so rarely get these expressions of uh death reflected in in american films this way of it Mm -hmm. being not necessarily this terrible thing but being something that um can be um joyful yeah and uh and because you know in in american culture we so often sort of push our dead to the side and we don't talk about it we don't talk about death we don't talk about mortality and to have it kind of out in the open in this movie is kind of beautiful in a way and i think tim burton was very much um that's what I, I think why people connected with him because he was willing to bring these dark themes out and not have it be just some sad thing. Right. I mean, wasn't his first film or one of his first films, Frank and Weenie, about the mm-hmm. zombie right. dog? You yes. Know? Right. He yes. revisited that recently too. But, but yeah, it's a death is always a recurrent theme in all of his films that I can think of, you know, I mean, Sleepy Hollow, Edward Scissorhands, you know, all those. Big Fish is the anomaly in his Right. Oh, that's a great film too, though. I love that movie. That's about death too. Is it? Yeah. I mean, there is loss. I mean, but yeah, you're right. It's not a central theme, but. Right. Yeah. I mean, because doesn't his father pass his, his way? Right? His dad oh, dies right. at the end. Yeah. yeah. And that was like his legacy was like leaving him with all mm-hmm. of these fantasy yeah. scenarios. If, if I can add one more thing to your taking on the ending of the movie. One thing that I didn't realize until I watched it, like literally just today before you guys got here in most movies, 
if a character is goth, they consider that a negative. Like this mm-hmm. person that's obsessed with dark things, that's a character flaw that has to be fixed. Uh, I, th- I think of like the faculty where Clea Duvall is the goth girl and like mm-hmm. over the course of the movie, like she like gets over that and like becomes like a normal kid. They don't fix that with her. She's going to school and she's getting good grades. She's still doing the goth thing. Mm-hmm. And the story of this movie isn't about her fixing. It's about like her really being more accepted by the people around her, like her stupid parents who are twits get to do their thing. (laughs) Like, and they seem like they're happier people. And she gets like a, like a real set of parents through the Maitlands Mm -hmm. and no one tries to fix her and be like, don't be obsessed with death. Like you can still be dark and be a happy person. And that's not something you see very often in a movie. I think. Agreed. Yes. No, I love that about the movie, but I have to say, I mean, the parents, they are twits. They're twits. Yeah. But <laughs> Catherine O'Hara is so good in this movie. She's oh, my God. She's so good. I mean, I her expression, her. like when um, when she's first being sort of animated by the ghost to dance. I mean, just her eyes, you know, how they cut to the side. It's like, what's going on here? But she does such yeah. a great job of balancing that where she's kind of possessed, but she's still, you know, herself. And <laughs> yeah, just the expressions are priceless. Yeah. she She's like, that face is amazing. Yeah. And do you guys watch Shit's Creek at all? No, um, no I've, I've seen it. an episode yeah. of it and I have to say I didn't love it but I heard it gets better in season two just like hang out with a little bit it's I would say it's worth it just to watch her because she's playing a very similar character just mm. in a non-horror setting but like a twit who's like learning how to be less of a twit and um, even the costuming is sometimes very similar like mm-hmm. uh, she's she's I love her so much I interviewed her once <clears throat> it was I was interviewing she and Jane Lynch together Oh, for a movie that was not that good called, I think, ACOD, Adult Children of Divorced Parents. It starred Adam. Hmm, never even heard of it. No. <laughs> anyway, but I but movie was not great, but I was so glad that I got to speak to them. And I told because I rode on a plane with her one time, Catherine O'Hara. And <clears throat> what shocked me more than seeing Catherine O'Hara on the same plane with me was that the fact that she was in coach. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but I didn't tell her I saw you in coach. I just said I saw you on the same plane. Yeah. But it was, um, but I just find her thrilling as a performer and uh, she's great. She's, this is like Catherine O'Hara at her prime, like at her best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, all the performances are excellent, which I think says a lot to Tim Burton's directing, you know, because he really brought out the best performances in everyone. I mean, everyone's brings their a game, even Dick Cavett. Yeah. <laughs> Dick Cavett, who has a, a cameo essentially. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to know how they led to be like, Hey, you know, who should play this like jerky person who's at the dinner party, Dick Cavett. And he was like, <laughs> sure. Right. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think Dick Cavett says no to anything really, but like, <laughs> Yeah, what 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 a weird thing that I, also I didn't know who Dick Cavett was the last time I saw this movie. So. Really, yeah. Right. My mom used to watch his show, so I remember like kind of growing up on that. And you know, even you could go back now on I think it's on Amazon Prime, and you can see like all of his interviews that he mm-hmm. did with David Bowie and Janis Joplin and John Lennon. You know, it's like he really was quite the uh, rock on tour back in the day. So interesting casting for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. And I, I, I remember watching, I love um, his interview with Jimi Hendrix as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was like great at like interviewing these rock gods, mm-hmm. but he was kind of like the straight man, you know, and kind of like the square. But, right, but wor- so stylish. Yeah. <laughs> but the chemistry <laughs> no. was so yeah. potent. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. It, it just, he just made it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a, so, and also Sylvia Sidney, who Drew brought up, who was, 
I actually didn't know who Sylvia Sidney was. She plays the old woman in the film who is, uh, what's her name in the movie? Juno. Juno. She's there. Basically, they're like social worker trying to help them adjust to their new afterlife. Yeah. And, and she is so winning in this movie and mm-hmm. so sharp and funny. And didn't I didn't want to bring it up. But rather than have you stumble onto it and make another mistake, I'll tell you. He was my assistant. But he was a troublemaker. He went out on his own as a freelance bio-exorcist. Claimed he could get rid of the living. He got into more trouble. In fact, I believe he's been sleezing around your cemetery lately. The only way he can be brought back is by calling his name three times. But I strongly suggest that you remove the Dietzes yourselves. Well, how do we contact you if we need you again? And I, but I didn't really know who she was. I actually had to look her up before I. So you saw pictures recorded. of her back in the day. Oh, she you did. So she was beautiful. Like mm-hmm. as a gay man, I'm like looking at him like that is like one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen in right? my life. She's yeah. so pretty. She oh was gorgeous. God. And what was she had a very interesting backstory because she was considered difficult. Hmm. She was she was branded as difficult mm-hmm. at, during her days in Hollywood, and she admitted that you know I did shit like I threw things in my dressing room and I was like not nice to people and whatever. But you know, the kind of behavior that people put up with when it's a man, but obviously, Mm. especially in those days and even now, if you're a woman and you behave like that, you're out. Right. So she was kind of like ostracized from the industry and uh, I, but she had a very interesting backstory and I think had it not been for her quote unquote bad behavior, she may have, she probably would have been a much bigger star, Mm -hmm. but or, or not. We don't know. Yeah. That's the thing. We'll never know. Well, you know, I, one thing I want to bring up is that, um, you know, her character's throat is cut. <laughs> so yeah. obviously she was murdered. But uh, no. I kind of... <laughs> what? She killed herself. Oh, she because, killed herself. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. everyone who works in like... Is a the, civil servant. The, if, yeah, if, you, sorry, if you commit suicide, suicides, you have yeah. to work in the yeah, bureaucracy the of the afterlife. Yeah, on the rope. And then the guy... But what and about like, the guy that got run over? How did he run over I think over he threw himself? himself under a bus. That's oh, why he's there. Okay, and then right. Miss Venezuela or Miss Argentina, yeah. who's the receptionist, she cut her wrist. Oh, uh, yeah. That yeah, was, that's a very dark joke. Yeah, but you know, there... Um, what I was gonna say was the fact, like when she's smoking a cigarette and the smoke is coming out of the the, yeah. <laughs> the slash in her throat. I mean, the special effects really do hold up, even though it's such an old film. It really feels contemporary in regard to the visual, the visuals. Agreed. And, you know, the stop motion. I think it won an Oscar it, for, it for makeup. Was nominated against Scrooge was nominated. and Coming to America, and it won. Oh, okay. It oh, beat, it out, did it one, beat yes. out the other two. I was like, oh, that's really good. Way yeah. to go, Beetlejuice! Yeah. Nominated for one Oscar and won. I was like, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that was that's it. all one for one. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, I agree the visual effects are great. The makeup effects. And I like the old school stop motion. Mm -hmm. And I I had read that Tim Burton actually wanted the effects to look a little bit cheap because he was kind Mm -hmm. of paying paying homage to the films that he grew up with and the effects in those movies. Like the Ray Harryhausen style? Yes. Yeah. And so he was basically paying homage. And I just, I don't know. There's something about that stop motion animation that's just so enjoyable to look at. You know, and even though it looks totally fake and it's it's obviously like not in the same frame with the actors and all that, I just love the look of it, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it works really well in the context of this movie because it is a, f- a comedy. Yeah, and it's otherworldly. It mean, looks it creepy. It always looks be. unnatural yeah. and creepy. Mm-hmm. Because the sandworms, yeah, yeah, yeah. The sandworms are creepy. 
Yeah. Creepy creatures. Yeah, but I think they showed them just enough. I don't think we needed to see Agreed. a lot of them. So yeah. yeah, it was pretty you know, judicious in its use of the special effects, which mm-hmm. I think is what makes them stand the test of time. Yeah. I I made a note on um while I was watching it. Um and all it says is Alec Baldwin's ass. Yeah. <laughs> and he's He's really, he was a very attractive man. It's I know, right? I mean, I have to say, though, like watching it, I, it's hard to get rid of like your contemporary baggage. You know, I kept thinking oh. Donald Trump, you know, like, you know, because he does such an incredible impersonation of Donald Trump now. But, you know, it's yeah, he was just, yeah, a totally different looking guy back then and different acting style and everything. So he's really evolved into something different, which is, you know, that's a good thing to see. Yeah. But, so my thing is, I, I do find him incredibly attractive in this role. And most of his like roles of this era, like his eyes are just bluer and mm-hmm. like he's just kind of dreamy, like dark haired Irish guy look to him. But then it's very hard for me to reconcile that with the fact that I think he's an asshole, even though I agree with him probably like most of the time politically, but like the way he presents his political opinions, yeah. I'm just like, sh- sh- Alec Baldwin, shut the fuck up. Right. And then the fact that he's out there telling everyone that like Woody Allen's actually a pretty good guy. And it's like, <laughs> I didn't miss that memo, he's a, but, he's a but big... I do remember like the messages to his daughter. Remember those? Like, he the... called her a little oh, pig. Yeah. When he called her a little pig. Yeah. 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 I mean, so all, you know, it's, it is kind of TMI, you know, I'd rather, I'd, I kind of would like to go back to the days when we didn't know much about our actors and stars, you know, you could kind right. of project your dreams and fantasies onto them, but now it's, you know, you can't do that anymore for yeah. sure. I was, I went to a sushi place and, um, who was I there with? Whoever I was there with, um, very quickly, the entire dinner became of the fact that Alec Baldwin was sitting at the table next to us mm. with the daughter he called a little pig, by the mm-hmm. way. And they seemed to be on good terms. This was like years after he called her a little pig. And they seemed to be talking pretty well. But it's Alec Baldwin. And he has that big Jack Donahue voice and was just like talking so loudly that like we couldn't talk. So we're just like, okay, we're just going to sit here and like look at each other and listen to everything Alec Baldwin says because oh he's taking goodness. up all the space in this like sushi house. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, yep, yeah, that seems like what he's like most of the time. Yeah. It's like he everyone's seems overbearing. Gonna, everyone's going to listen to me. Hmm. And he, but he just looks like a completely different person now. No, I mean, totally. look at he him does, back then. Yeah. He was a full on sex woman. He mm-hmm. was sexy. Yeah. And the chest, even the chest hair, I just want to bury my face yeah. in that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The I, I, eyes and the smile. And he was like, you forget, like he was like a leading man. Right. You know, in the 80s and 90s. But I feel completely okay having this conversation because how many times do people have this conversation about like a leading lady from this era and be like, oh, she really like Kathleen Turner really let herself go. It's like Alec Baldwin did exactly what Kathleen <laughs> Exactly. Turner did. Why don't we always talk about women that way? Oh, he's, I know. And I he's still acting. He hasn't yeah. been off for like more than a few months in his life right and well one thing i do want to bring up though about like how attractive him and gina davis were you know i mean they really had a good chemistry too i really believed you know in the beginning that they were this cute married couple and they really had that you know very good on screen chemistry that you need to have which again i think goes back to tim burton's directing of everyone yeah so too I love their chemistry. That opening scene yeah. with them just having fun with each other. Mm-hmm. They're just like fun loving couple. And I love that it's just this simple, like cute relationship that they have. And they have all their little quirks that they do with each other. It's all set up so well. Mm-hmm. And you know they're gonna die too. She was like, Oh, this is this sucks. They seem they seem I know. they seem nice enough. I know. I guess in the original script you see them drowning and yeah. it's like kind of like more of a graphic depiction of their mm. death. I'm glad that they didn't do that because I don't want to see them no, those I, delightful people drowning. Uh, so 
I hadn't seen this since I was in college. I was watching it now. And one of the things we're supposed to take away from this movie is that they are a nice couple and their house is decorated the way they like it. And then this obnoxious yuppie couple who are very artsy move in and Catherine O'Hara's character ruins the decor that they've worked to like to build in their house to make it look a certain way. And maybe it's just the fact that it's been 30 years and like my tastes have changed or I have taste now. I don't actually hate what Catherine O'Hara does to the house. I think what Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis does is like basic. Like mm-hmm. it, there is just cutesy white people country clutter. And I actually think what the Dietzes do is really interesting. And I'm not sure. It'll be interesting to see like in another 30 years if people can look at what the Dietzes do and be like, oh, that's supposed to be tacky because it's supposed to be tacky. We're supposed to think yes. they have bad taste. but. I'm actually kind of into it. I, I think it's. I actually like that outdoor window. I, I know. Like, That's cool, right? The deck with the like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the uh, wall behind it. Yeah. 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 And so, are we supposed to think that's tacky, or are we supposed to think that yes. is like cool? Uh, We're supposed to think that there are these new city people um, bringing their, um, you know, city values to this like old, you know, home with all of its like old world charm and and destroying it. I guess that makes sense, but like, yeah, like it's really an extension of their characters. Right? We're not supposed to like them in any way, shape, or form. I, I mean, we're supposed to be charmed by them, as I think as we are with Beetlejuice and with every character in the movie. But we're they're more villainous, mm. um, and I think that that the way that they design that home is an extension of that. But it was so weird, Drew. I actually predicted that you were going to say that you loved that. I really, yeah. I was saying, how would Drew think about this? But I actually kind of agree with you. I think it, it is kind of goofy and fun, like what they do with the house. And yeah. It kind of works. And... Better than all the floral patterns. You know, Davis is just swathed in floral patterns the entire time. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. But, 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 I Agreed. Mean, yeah. Yeah. But, um, but I think that that's sort of not unique to this movie in the realm of Hollywood filmmaking, particularly in the 80s and 90s. It was all very much about upholding traditional values and upholding, in some ways, like middle American values, sure, rural the values. Era. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that that kind of makes sense in the context of the era in which it was produced. So do you think the Reagan era would support the Maitlands or the Dietzes? Because the Dietzes are like entrepreneurs and they have a lot of money and they have agency and the Maitlands... They're more traditional. I'm not sure which one be valued more. Mm-hmm. I think the Maitlands. Interesting. Yeah. That would be my takeaway. So, okay. I actually, I talked before we started, I talked about my weird theory about this movie and I think it works sort of, and maybe you guys can tell me if it's garbage or not, but like in my head, the Maitlands represent like the late fifties, early sixties. Like she's very traditional. She wears like a frilly apron mm-hmm. and he wears the flannel shirt and like they are very traditionally American and the Dietzes are a little avant-garde and they are they seem like nouveau riche a little bit mm-hmm. and they seem like they represent 80s culture. And I saw it as a conflict between mid-century culture and this new sort of rich person that was coming in. And perhaps maybe Winona Ryder as the goth girl was maybe prescient 90s culture. And yes. that's as far as I could take it. And then Beetlejuice doesn't really work into any air. I don't know what to do with him. But I thought maybe Tim Burton was talking about a generational conflict and like culture clash and the fact that the movie resolves with all these people living under one house and being like, we're going to find a way to make this work. Mm-hmm. And it does. Mm-hmm. Everyone seems happy at the end. That's true. Yeah. It was like um, his way of resolving this conflict between what I, what was probably his culture and like the culture that came after him, or he might've been between the two cultures. I don't know. Yeah. That's a good point. 
But like, yeah, because it is a, an ending like, you know, Catherine Hare doesn't get catapulted out a window. No. Jeffrey Jones doesn't get, you know, elect like shocked or you know what I mean? Like something that you might have expected would happen to their characters because they are kind of set up as these villains mm-hmm. in a way mm-hmm. doesn't happen. And then they all end up just like happy living under the same roof, like Drew was saying. So R- Robert Goulet gets catapulted through the ceiling. Yes. <laughs> Presumably. <laughs> Wait, is it death? <laughs> Wait, what's his name? What's the actor's name? Robert Goulet. The guy with the mustache, who's like the oh god, okay, him no, and the blonde thinking, woman get like oh. the he Beetlejuice pounds. It's yes. hard to describe. But Beetlejuice pounds yes. those tammers and sends them rocketing through the ceiling. You never see him again. Mm, I'm like, yeah. wait, are they <laughs> like dead up there? That, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, no, I know. I was thinking away, of yeah. the gay designer who was not Robert Goulet, Glenn Shaddix. Glenn oh Shaddix. My god, he yeah. was so good. He was good. He was good. Yeah. We just have to pray the other closets are bigger than this one. Ooh, look. Ozzy and Harriet. Look. What happened to these people? They died. Oh, look, an indoor outhouse. Otho. Viridian. Viridian. Now, why do I know that name? Blue-green. Hydrated chromic oxide. Remember, I'm schooled in chemistry. I was a hair analyst. Briefly. Ugh. Deliver me from L.L. Bean. I know what you two are up to, and you're not going to get away with it. Oh, honey, this is not working out at all. Charles, I will not stop living and breathing art just because you need to relax. I'm here with you. I will live with you in this hellhole, but I must express myself. If you don't let me gut out this house and make it my own, I will go insane and I will take you with me! I think this might have been the first time I would have ever seen what was... He's not said that he's gay necessarily, but like anyone with a brain would be like, oh, he's Mm -hmm. supposed to be like some sort of fruitcake. I don't think I... It might have been the first character of that type I'd ever seen on screen, really. Like... He's a smart person, you know, he's definitely not, I don't feel like he's um, demoralizing in any way, you know, I think he's just, he's one of the other characters, I don't really feel like he's singled out, so I think that was pretty good, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then some of the other people, though, like the dates, like, you know, his date, quote unquote, date, the girl that he's sitting next to. And then, you know, there, she's just kind of there. And then she you don't know where she came from or where she goes. And, you know, there are some dropped uh, I liked, points like that. I liked her outfit, though. I think oh, we're supposed to think yeah. that she's they're dressed in a flash, like a dumb fashion. But her and yeah. then the blonde woman is wearing like a gold lame dress. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm like, oh, they're both amazing. Like there are girls in L.A. right now who would be like, I'm going to wear that out. I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to recreate that. Well, the anyway, 80s are coming yeah. back, so yeah. there you go. So? Oh, um. <clears throat> uh. You like them. I just hope it wasn't yet another of your dreary suicide attempts. You know what they say about people who commit suicide? In the afterlife, they become civil servants. <laughs> <laughs> Otho, I didn't realize you were into the supernatural. Well, of course, you remember. After my stint with the Living Theater, I was one of New York City's leading paranormal researchers. So the bottom dropped out in 72. Paranormal? Is that what they're calling your kind these days? Don't mind her. She's still upset because somebody dropped a house on her sister. (laughs) 
But I thought, you know, it's so funny. We were talking about this last time on the podcast. And sometimes I watch these movies through the lens of people that might be offended by it. You know, because you're trying to like sort of look at it through um, the lens of today and, you know, the sort of political climate that we're living in and that you were living in the Me Too era and we're living in, a, in an era of like where we we demand greater representation in, in our pop cultural products. And so I was thinking, is this gay? Like, I am so not offended easily at all. But I was thinking, would this gay character be offensive to anyone? I was like thinking really hard about that. And I was like, maybe because he's kind of villainized or you know he's kind of made out to be like a shitty person because he cares about design and he's really into fashion he's like sort of like the stereotypical gay man but and then all he, shallow i mean all those right. people are shallow, so i don't think he's any more shallow than any of the others than like the deetses at least than yeah. the deetses right. right so so like again it's like i'm not offended easily and i was not offended by that character at all but i'm mm-hmm. like if another person that was much more sensitive to these things were watching this movie, would they be offended by this character? Because he did sort of represent a stereotype of the way that gay men were presented in movies at that time. Yeah. That, that, and he might be. We just, I take it you weren't offended either, Drew. No, it was weird. It's always weird seeing something like that and being like, oh, that's what I thought gay people used to be. Okay. And then like mm-hmm. working past that, because that's something you see when I saw when I was fairly young and that's. You carry it with you a little bit. And he's very, he's very asexual. I mean, as most gay characters were in movies at right. that time. Although he brings that, he brings that like nicely dressed Asian woman as a date, but she doesn't seem to be happy to be there. It's a weird. Now, is that his date? Is that what we're supposed to understand that well, she that was is? my understanding. Well, she's, you know, yeah. Huh. But a date doesn't necessarily mean it's a romantic thing. I mean, right. it's just kind of your sidekick. She did not seem that, she, <laughs> she was not happy to be there. Yeah, though. No. <laughs> she was kind of insulting toward him, too. Yeah. If he got like rocketed through the ceiling, like um, Robert Goulet and the blonde woman yeah. did, that might have been worse. But how like, does he how does he go so out? He just runs out of the house. Beetle, right? No, Beetlejuice like points at him and takes off his like fashionable 80s uh, clothes and he's wearing like a light blue right? leisure <laughs> suit. And he's right. Horrified. Yes. And he runs away. Yeah. You never see him again. Was, and I'm like, I thought that was pretty funny. Like yeah. for a character like that, that seems like a just ending for him yeah. that, that that's like the slasher movie version of being mm-hmm. killed for Living him hell. we're just yeah. like oh that i'm done yeah and he has nothing to do so he ran away yeah yeah did you guys know that this movie was originally the studio wanted to call the movie house ghosts mm. that's not that is a very hollywood yeah eyes, very generic and hollywood title. executive yeah. title did you see yeah. the other one too uh, I don't know. Scared sheetless. Yes. Oh my yes. god! Are you kidding? Because oh, well, Beetle, like, it's weird thinking that anyone would hear the word Beetlejuice and be like, "That sounds like a movie I'm going to see." But apparently, <laughs> yeah. it was. It worked. Mm-hmm. It worked because I don't know. I, I did, this kind of thing just aggravates me so much that that you know. And I get that you know, if you're a Hollywood executive, you're trying to keep your job. You like you're you you're very averse to taking risks. And when even da- right down to the title, I, w- I used to work at a studio called um, New Regency, mm-hmm. and we released a movie. I kid you not, that was called Firehouse Dog. I remember that movie. And the movie was literally about a dog living in a firehouse. Yep. <laughs> and it was like we had these like lowest common denominator. People were so scared that you wouldn't understand what the movie was because the title wasn't a certain thing or wasn't like, you know, the mm-hmm. most basic um, description of what the plot was. Mm-hmm. So it's actually kind of amazing that Tim Burton, being a young director, was able to release this movie as yeah. Beetlejuice when he didn't have that much power. I mean, Pee-wee's Big Adventure was a one, hit. One, one, one it was moderate one, hit. Mm-hmm. It was one film. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, but I mean, oh my God, House Ghosts. Would, House- this, would anyone have even seen this movie if it was called House Ghosts? I don't know. There was a, the the the, the idiot. It's a very idiosyncratic movie, and you can't call it something generic like right. House Ghosts. It exactly. has to be Beetlejuice, right? right? Because it just kind of it's a betrayal of what the material is. I agree. Or Scared Sheetless, even though that's kind of a, <laughs> kind of it, in its way is kind of a good title, but like not for this. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think this has ever come up on the podcast before, but I'm a big etymology nerd. I like where words come from. Um, do you guys, so you guys are aware that Beetlejuice, which is spelled G-U-E-S-E, yeah. is and the I name of that. a star. Yeah. So it is a star, you know, Orion, the archer mm-hmm. constellation, it's in his armpit. Oh, And okay. it, the word Beetlejuice comes from this Arabic phrase that it's kind of sounds like Beetlejuice, but like it's got warped over the time. But, uh, the rough translation, one of them is the armpit of Orion because he's literally right in the armpit. Hmm. So I'm like, oh, maybe that's why I picked it because like it's kind of like a gross thing. But like there's this other weird history of the term Beetlejuice in okay. America where um, you guys are familiar with shellac. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. shellac is like a spray on lacquer that is made from beetles. And in certain circles, it's not super well documented, but back in the day, like early century, a slang term for shellac was Beetlejuice. And I'm like, first of all, it's very odd that we'd have two like, like histories of the term Beetlejuice in like our culture. And it's not clear which one he necessarily got it from, but it is very probable that Tim Burton might've heard this mid-century, like this old term for shellac and like had it rattling around in his head. And that became the name of this movie. Well... So, but I mean, he didn't write the script, though. Uh, it's true. He didn't yeah. write the script. So it would have been one of the screenwriters. I'm so glad you brought that up. I was talking to roommate Glenn earlier about how it was surprising for me to learn that he didn't write the script because he's one of those directors where, for some reason, I think, at least me, but maybe other people just kind of imagine that he was there from the ground up on all the things mm-hmm. he's ever worked right. on. Yeah, exactly. Like, people always think that he directed... Uh, uh, what's it called? The oh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, and he didn't. He didn't direct that at all. He, it's just, he's Henry Selick. Yeah, and I was very surprised to learn that there's like two story by credits and two screenplay credits on this movie, and none of them are fucking Tim Burton. Hmm. He just yeah. slid in and turned it into something beautiful. Well, yeah, yes. he certainly made it his own, regardless. Right? I did he did he write Edward Scissorhands? Uh, Do we know? I don't. Off the top of my head, I don't know. I think he did grow up in Burbank. And yeah. I think the town it's supposed to take place in is supposed to be, he might've had a more of a creative role in Edward mm-hmm. Scissorhands. Yeah. But yeah. So now I think for about 25 years now, they've been talking about making a sequel to this movie. Yeah. And the original idea was Beetlejuice goes to Hawaii. Okay. That's like uh, Jason in space. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like you jump the shark even if you with your first sequel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, wow. And that's what I thought. But then I thought, okay, well, Tim Burton wanted to be involved. And so I feel like at least back in the 90s when they were originally going to make this movie, it might have been actually good because he would bring his whole 90s Tim Burton-y thing to it and maybe mm-hmm. would have made something interesting out of it. Yeah. Not so much today, I don't think. But um, yeah, and Winona Ryder and Michael Keaton were both on board apparently to come back for the sequel, and then it fell apart because Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton, and Tim Burton were distracted by making Batman Returns, mm. and that took precedence. And then the movie didn't happen in that form. And now they're talking about. There's actually a script written by Seth Graham Smith, who wrote like Pride and Prejudice and yeah. Zombies and yeah, stuff. Yeah, he's a good writer. He wrote a script for it that is finished, but 
no one knows that this is ever going to get made. And Winona Ryder at one point was on a talk show and said, oh yeah, it's like, we're totally doing it. And then it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I have to say, I don't know that I want a sequel to this movie. I I agree. Yeah, I don't. I think it should stand alone, personally. Yeah, Yeah, me too. But we don't need to revisit this universe, (laughs) explore new territory. Yeah. The uh, the writer who passed away, he died of uh, AIDS related causes. uh, What was his name? Michael McDowell. He also wrote a script that went unproduced, and it was called Beetlejuice in Love. And apparently, there's a few different sequel ideas out there for this. And as fun as it was to watch this movie again, I, I don't, I don't, I don't need to see what Lydia Dietz is doing. All we these don't years need later. that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I would see it, but, um, so we always go see the reboot things that we, we think are going to be bad. <laughs> it's a fuller houses. And it's like, what? Third season now? What? Something like that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 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 So I don't think I want that. Yeah. No, nope. I don't think I want that. No. Nope. Certainly not Beetlejuice Goes to Hawaii. (laughs) Maybe Beetlejuice in space, though. We could go with that. Okay. All right. We'll talk. In the description, like, this is, like, decades ago, so I, who even knows? But, like, Tim Burton talked about, like, what Beetlejuice Goes to Hawaii would be, and it would be combining, like... German expressionism, was it? And Sorry, I totally completed your And surf movies, because he thought, like, these two things are such a jarring fit that it Mm. might be interesting together. And I'm willing to give Tim Burton from like 1990 credit for that. Mm-hmm. But like, <laughs> I wanted to ask you guys, what is the last good movie Tim Burton made in your opinions? Ooh, uh, let's see. You know, I'm not unlike yourself. I'm not good at remembering uh, the years, but I, don't know. I mean, I like Sleepy Hollow. I liked Big Fish. I guess maybe not, you know, 90s. I don't know. Like, what mm-hmm. has he done recently? He did do the Dark Shadows movie. Did you um, like that? No. <laughs> <laughs> the Corpse Bride, I didn't really like that either. Um, Sleepy Hollow is mine. And that yeah. was like 99? 99, yeah. Sleepy Hollow was 99. Yeah. And Big Fish was, I believe, 2003. Okay. And that was fine. It didn't feel quite like a Tim Burton movie. Yeah. It was, but it, for what it was, it was nice. But had I known that it would be, we were falling off the precipice into... So we were talking about Dario Argento earlier, and I feel that's mm-hmm. a very similar thing where this guy had magic for a little bit and then either he ran out of it or he's been surrounded by people that don't give him real feedback anymore and he's incapable of recreating it and i don't want him to make another beetlejuice movie because i don't think it would be good because i don't right. think he can make good movies anymore it's kind of like ridley scott with like the alien franchise it's like the original alien is such a, a great film and then he made prometheus which i actually thought there were a lot of interesting things in prometheus but mm-hmm. i didn't love it as a movie and it certainly isn't on the level of alien i kind yeah. of feel that way about tim burton as well like right. let's leave your glory days you know you have your you had your your glory days where you made a lot of great films maybe just like retire or do something else yeah, creative with do, your time yeah uh, maybe, maybe like a stop making movies for a while i don't know i, don't know. I love I mean, tim burton you know, and yeah. I mean, he certainly did create a niche that no one else can. Yes, he really did. He was a true original. He was a true original. Did you guys go to the um, Tim Burton LACMA exhibit? I did. I did actually really like, even Mm -hmm. despite how I feel about him now, it was like a very interesting thing to see his stuff be held up as art. And he's Mm -hmm. an artist. He's a very talented, he has a vision and an aesthetic and he knows what he's doing. And I enjoyed that more than I've enjoyed any of his movies in the last like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory <sighs> on. Mm. Yeah. I missed the Willy Wonka remake. I <sighs> saw Alice in Wonderland, which was mm. yeah. that was tough. Yeah. Um, what was his most recent film? 
Um, I know he did. Okay, he did the Amy Adams movie, uh, Big okay, Eyes. That wasn't Big too Eyes. Bad. I didn't see that. I yeah, heard some people like that. Actually, not bad. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see that. Um, yeah, like it's it's. I don't. I don't even know what his last movie was. Hmm. Has the he made a second Alice movie or has it come out yet? Oh, the Alice. Did. Yeah, I think he did. Yeah. He yeah. did, and it didn't do well. We can't even remember. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's hard. It's it, it's such a weird thing to be like, this guy's had work continuously for such a long time. And we're like, <laughs> who would have yeah. thought like at watching Beetlejuice in, for the first time that you would be like, this guy's going to make movies like 20 years from now and you're not going to want to watch them. You'd be like, that's surprising. But does he know he's lost it? Do you think? I don't. I think it's like I said, if you are so powerful and so successful, you and you're a man, you're a white man, you are surrounding yourself with people that tell you you're great all the time. Mm -hmm. And maybe when like the significant other of the moment stops telling you you're great, you just get a new significant other, which is something (laughs) he does. Mm -hmm. And yeah, he doesn't really hear. I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot of successful men are like that. So what is each of your favorite Tim Burton movie? I have to say, after watching Beetlejuice again, I think it may be Beetlejuice. What? Really? Yeah. Okay. Maybe Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which I eventually saw later in life, and I think is such a weird thing. Like, but maybe, like, I love Sleepy Hollow so much because I think it is such a very particular sort of slasher movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, that might just be nostalgia for, like, the end of high school for me, which is when I saw it. But uh, I don't know. What about you? I'm going to go with Mars Attacks. Oh, that's a a cult favorite, I think. (laughs) I love that one. Yeah. I enjoy that movie so much, but I think maybe it's nostalgia. I know a lot of people that really dislike that. And they're like, oh, that's not a good movie. Mm -hmm. I'm like, but it's so fun and has such a big cast. Yeah, the cast is awesome. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I've seen it a few times and it always holds up for me. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not really like you'd think when you think of Tim Burton, I always think of like dark fantasy, you know, like. Definitely like Corpse Bride or Sleepy mm-hmm. Hollow or, you know, something like that, which is, I think Mars Attacks is not as dark, but mm-hmm. I love the the Slim Whitman, uh, you know, had explosions are pretty funny. And yeah. Sylvia yeah. Sidney is so good in that. Oh, and know, it's she's awesome. Playing such a, like, out of her mind old lady. And <laughs> she was actually very with it when she made that yeah. movie. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Jack Nicholson, and mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, twice just... Jack Nicholson, twice, <laughs> right? Jack yeah. Nicholson and Jack Nicholson, yeah, and uh, Sarah Jessica Parker with the dog, and yeah, all those things. It's just so atmospheric. And Lisa Marie, who I thought was really good, but you know, it's like after sh- Tim Burton broke up with her, she broke up with him. You know, you never really see her in anything anymore. Oh, no. Zero. You know, I don't he know what she's Lisa doing. Marie. Lisa, not Lisa Marie Presley, but oh. a model named Lisa. She plays the oh. alien lady. Yeah, like this, that very hourglass figure. She was in a lot okay. of his movies. She was in um, Ed Wood, too. Okay. Yeah, she played, she played uh, Vampira, right? And yeah. she played Ichabod's mom in Sleepy Hollow. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And I yeah. think that was oh. the last movie they made together, and then he moved on. Yeah. yeah. I really, I mean, Edward Scissorhands, I definitely want to watch again, because I haven't seen that in a while. I remember loving that. Yeah. And I really like Batman Returns, actually. I think that's a solid. Oh, that's right. I, which we've done on the podcast before. We we, we did that. Uh, rewatching Batman Returns was a lot of fun because it was so much better than I thought it was going to be, mm-hmm. and there was so much there. So maybe yeah. maybe Batman Returns. Oh, that's right. Okay, it's it's hard it's hard to pick because he had like a sweet spot of like he did a bunch of great stuff that really appealed to like Lydia Dietz esque teenagers who really gravitated towards his stuff. Yes, but, and I think I still kind of am Lydia Dietz on the inside. <laughs> I think. I, I love that. And and, and Drew, I think you brought up an interesting point about 
her being a precursor to 90s God Kids? Do you want to talk about that? Um, just that her style, I don't... Maybe you'd be a better answer. When do you? When was your first experience of like goth culture? Because I didn't know it until I was in high school, which was in yeah, like the nineties. That would have been right around then. And also, um, uh, Christina Ricci played a few mm-hmm. goth type characters. She was in the Adams Family and um, Blair Witch Project. You know, that was mm-hmm. another one. You know, where the character uh, the the second the sequel, one. the sequel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, they were pretty popular, right? Like Jawbreaker, and you know, some of those films in the nineties. This was this. Yeah. yeah so this, this this really would be kind like of the came first before. One. Yeah, this mm-hmm. would have been one of the first. She definitely I don't even predated. Know if there was really a name for it at the time. Well, I think, I mean, obviously, goth kids have been around for a long time at mm-hmm. that at the point that like Marilyn Manson came out, but Marilyn Manson made it a mainstream mm-hmm. thing, right? Yeah. I think that right. was the first time that I understood what goth was. Yeah, you know? yeah. When I saw Beetlejuice for the first time, I didn't identify Lydia as being goth, but like that's a good w- word for in retrospect. But yeah, she, yeah. Was, she was a very. She seemed like a precursor and maybe set the tone for a lot of, especially these like dark artsy girls who had big feelings and they're like, Oh, mm-hmm. that that's cool. And I like I that she that. was seen and, and Drew, you were talking about goth being seen as sort of a character flaw in a lot of like other films. Yeah. And this is a real strength for Lydia in this movie because she's a goth kid and she can see things that other people can't. Right. Yeah. And there's a line in there where they're reading the handbook for the recently deceased, mm-hmm. uh, Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin. And there's a line in there about people uh, won't see most the majority of humans won't see ghosts mm-hmm. and Gina Davis says something like can't or won't and he says it just says won't mm-hmm. and so it's like she is willing to she's mm-hmm. willing to see beyond um, what most people see and um, is able to and that's how she recognizes and sees, them sees ghosts yeah in her house yeah and I so it's it's she's it's really seen as a strength with her that yeah. she's willing to she's not playing by the same old rule book that everyone else is playing by. and Yeah, I mean, there is that one iconic line, too, where she's like, and I am strange and unusual, you know? It's yeah. Like, right. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. She, she accepts it. It's not, she come when we first meet her, she already is that. She knows that about uh-huh. herself, yeah. and it doesn't change, and that's nice, because, yeah, you go weird, girl. Like, be weird. <laughs> <laughs> we... Um, we haven't really talked that much about Winona Ryder, which mm-hmm. is crazy because like a lot of people, their most positive feelings would be about this character. And one of the things I read, and this is one of those stories you read about like the casting of a movie and who knows if it's true, but that they auditioned a lot of different actresses for this role. And at one point it was down between Winona Ryder and Alyssa Milano. Mm-hmm. And Winona Ryder got the part and Alyssa Milano did not. And that's probably for the best. But I f- wonder if this movie did so much to shape Winona Ryder's public persona and mm-hmm. like help her get subsequent roles mm-hmm. that I wonder what her life would have been like if Alyssa Milano had played Lydia Dietz and she might've taken more mainstream roles because she's often been the weird girl. She was the weird girl in Heather. She was the weird girl in, uh, Edward Scissorhands mm-hmm. and she's mm-hmm. still playing the weird lady on stranger things. Mm-hmm. And like Tim Burton had a very definite force on like what kind of actress she ended up becoming. And I think it worked well for her, but it's just very interesting to think about what her life would have been like if she had not been in this movie. Right. Well, it definitely shaped her persona. I think for the, in the long term. Mm-hmm. you know, like you said, she was a little bit typecast. I mean, she did like the, uh, like she did the age of innocence with mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese. Right. And, right. And, but then she was in Bram Stoker's Dracula. She, a lot of her films tended towards these like very dark characters. 
Yeah, I don't know. That's an inter- that's an interesting question. One thing that struck me about her in Beetlejuice is that she looks like a child. She and a year later, she was in Heather's playing this like high school bad girl and looked so much more adult. And yeah, it's interesting that that was only a year later. Yeah. Um, anyway, she was like what sixteen, seventeen when she actually filmed this. Do you I know? Don't know? Really? I'm not huh. sure. Yeah. She she was, I, she was not. She was definitely still a teenager, but like yeah, she she grew up very quickly. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then she was in Mr. Deeds. <laughs> <laughs> and then Saks Fifth Avenue. And now yeah. she's, but now she's back. Yeah. 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 She plays Joyce, the mom who fights monsters. How crazy that she shoplifted like a blouse from Saks Fifth Avenue and then lost her career for 10 years. I, I mean, know. only a woman, you know, that would so, happen to. Seriously. Yeah. Not like she killed anybody. I think she, I heard her give an interview and she said something like, it's not like I committed like some giant offense. Like I you know what I mean? Oh, She's, I know. I mean, you were talking about um, Biloxi Blues, right? Matthew Broderick. He killed somebody and yeah. his career didn't go away. Yeah. No. You know, right. He's yes. doing good. Uh, we didn't talk about Jeffrey Jones. He did do something and his career is over. Yes. He's gone. I forgot and about that. And it's always weird to be like, oh, it's Ferris Bueller's principal. Oh, that's right. He took naked pictures of a teenager. A 14-year-old boy. He, yeah. Mm. He tried. He, he he pled to soliciting a minor. Really? I yeah. missed that scandal. There's yeah. so many. It's hard I, to so keep many. up. so many. I know. <laughs> he I was know. this? Early 2000s. So oh, if you look okay. at his filmography, he's made two features since the early 2000s. Neither of which are good. And, and he, I was, was in, he was in Deadwood as well. He was in Deadwood. After that. Deadwood. That was like where it got capped off. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe the end of Deadwood coincided with him pleading out on this thing. But yeah, I looked at like, what the fuck is he even... Well, like if you're an actor and no one will cast you, what do you even do? The most recent thing he did was he took a picture with Justin Bieber. And Justin Bieber posted it on his Instagram account and like tagged it like Ferris Bueller's Day Off! Exclamation point and then deleted it like 10 oh, minutes no. later. He's like, oh, he didn't know about the scandal either. <laughs> that was the last time that Jeffrey Jones has done anything. And Aww. it sucks that he's in so many good things I like, mm-hmm. but you're just like, you're gross. You're super gross. But Aww. also weird that like he gets his career ended for being gross and other people don't, but whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. yeah. Um, one final note that I wanted to bring up is that the original final song was going to be when a man loves a woman and not yeah. shake Sonora. What? Yeah. That's, hmm. which is not what the tone that you want at the end of this movie at, at all. all. Like no. I said, it's this yeah. joyful scene. When a man loves a woman is such a sappy romantic yeah. song. Yeah. And Shake Sonora is the perfect song to end this movie. And it was not originally written for the movie. No, no. Um, super, uh-huh. catchy, super catchy. And it's probably the only reason a lot of people who weren't alive in like 1961 and buying records know who Harry Belafonte is. Yeah. Honestly. Like, He's still alive. Is he really? Isn't he? Mm, I believe so. I'm pretty sure he's still alive. Still yeah. alive? Oh, he looks good. Oh, that's a recent picture. <laughs> yeah. He's 91. Oh, wow. my God. Good for him. Hmm. Yeah, he's awesome. Um, yeah, uh, I sang the banana song for like months after I saw this <laughs> oh. song, which I sure did not endure myself to my parents. Probably endure myself not. to my parents at all. Or no. anybody. Yeah. <laughs> that was the thing. One of my main takeaways when I first saw it, and I forgot about this, was that I love that Shake Sonora song, and I had it like on repeat. I mm-hmm. loved that song, and it introduced me to Harry Belafonte. Mm-hmm. So thanks he's great. You. Um, I think that's going to do it for us, unless anyone has any final thoughts. Hmm. <laughs> I can't <laughs> yeah. think of anything else. True. But, you know, like I said earlier, it is a very simple movie. You know, it I is. don't feel like it's, you know, deeply, uh, you know, you don't really have to dive in too deep to get it, which is fun. Yeah. Sometimes you just need a film that you can watch and enjoy and move on to the next, you know? 
I felt good after watching and I kind of bounced out of my chair. Like yeah. it's just a, it's just such a heartwarming mm-hmm. movie um, and it's such a unique and interesting film and, and strange and all of those great things. And um, I felt enriched watching it and I'm glad that we got to revisit it. Drew? The only thing I'm going to point out is that people love the movie Ghost, which came out in 1990. Mm-hmm. But like... I feel like whoever wrote Ghost was like, oh, what if a ghost didn't know how to be a ghost? That's a good movie. And like just li- lifted that whole, it's a major plot thread from this yes, movie. Right. And um, whatever. But yeah. yeah. So I think, I, I mean, I can't think of another movie about a ghost not knowing how to be a ghost, but. Well, I don't know. I'm trying to think back because I love like those screwball comedies from the 30s, you know, like Topper. And mm. I feel like they were kind of learning how to be ghosts too. But I've not seen Topper. <laughs> I haven't either. You guys got to like reach back into the 1930s. But no, it, you know, I love those ghost movies that are lighthearted and, and charming. And yeah. so I think that the Beetlejuice really does bring back that that style. And yeah. uh, it did a great job. Then I wish they make more of them because I, I like it too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Stacy, where can people find you on social media? Where can't they find me on social <laughs> media? <laughs> Let's see. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, you name it. So, um, but usually you can find me under Stacy Wilson, or you can just go to my website, which is stacylanewilson.com and spell follow... Sta- spell yes. Stacy for us. S T A C I L A Y N E W I L S O N. So yeah. And you follow the bouncing ball from there and, find me anywhere awesome yeah um you can find me on twitter at chris j Egertson. andrew you can find me on twitter at drew g Mackey. and also i'm going to give a shout out to a side project i'm doing with my roommate glenn uh it is a uh 10 episode podcast project that we launched last week uh the second episode came out this week uh third episode comes out the week this episode will come out it's called gayest episode ever it is us going back and watching the uh episodes of classic tv shows that have gay centric uh plots and talking about what the context was what was going on in history and in tv and how well they hold up so we did uh the first week is a fraser and second week is a roseanne third week is a golden girls and it's gonna be really good and if you want to listen to it uh gayest episode ever on itunes soundcloud or um google play please give 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 us a listen well, you guys fun- are gonna have to go back to bewitched which episode oh would be which though that's oh, the thing i don't know i mean paul lind was I know. like a great i love him. and andorra too but like yeah. it's like it's really hard to pick like one be like this is the episode oh, we're gonna know. hold up mm, yeah. i know i didn't know there Uncle was a gay Arthur. episode of bewitched uh, bewitched is pretty know. pretty gay <laughs> <laughs> there's wow. a lot of gay stuff on that show but like this is one of the things i have to like do a deep dive and figure out this is the one we're gonna do because mm. we're just doing one yeah but yeah you got a lot Watch yeah. a lot of Bewitched for that. I don't know. <laughs> I'm fine doing that. By the way, I love Bewitched, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very fun podcast. I've, I listened to the Fraser episode. And you can also follow our podcast at Wanya Podcast, W A N Y A Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Mm-hmm. We have a Facebook page, We Are Not Young Anymore on Facebook. Uh, we have a official website, We Are Not Young Anymore.com. Um, and then you can listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, all the podcast platforms. And please, if you like the podcast, rate, review, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please. That would be very nice and helpful. Please. 
Um, all right. Well, join us next week for another movie. And again, thank you, Stacy, for being here with us. It was a joy to have you. Mm, thank you for having me. Stacy okay. drove all the way to my house from Sherman Oaks in the rain on a Friday night. And that is a commitment to podcasting. Yes. That's love. Very appreciative. <laughs> we you like that much. kind of commitment. Yeah. All right. Bye. 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 Yay. Podcast over. Thank yeah, you, Stacy. That was like an hour on the nose, too. Shake, 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 Sinora, shake your body liner. Shake, 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 Sinora, shake it all the time. Work, 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 Sinora, work your body liner. Work, 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 Sinora, work it all the time. My girl's name is Sonora, I tell you friends I adore her. And when she dances, oh brother, she's a hurricane in all kinds of weather. Jump in the line, rock your body on time. Okay, I believe you jump in the line, rock your body on time. Okay, I believe you jump in the line, rock your body on time.